Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. Today is going to be super fun. Today, we are going to look at a little Twitter experiment that I did. Now, this is an informal experiment, but it's, it was really enlightening. I spent the last month on Twitter. I've never really spent much time on Twitter. I never really enjoyed Twitter very much. Uh, I could just, it didn't feel good um, to go in there and, and see the echo chamber at its maximum. And so I generally avoided it. Uh, it just didn't, it didn't make sense to me to spend much time there, but I have been engaging in this podcast for quite some time and thought, you know what? I should go and check it out and do a little experiment and see what happens over the next 30 or so days. And we'll go from there. Well, that was a very enlightening experience for me. And at the end, if you stick around, I'm going to give you my diagnosis of Twitter. Now, this is not diagnosing the people of Twitter. I'm not getting engaged in that. I am going to diagnose Twitter, the platform Twitter, because it's very interesting. All right, let's start with this. In August, I set out to go onto Twitter and just engage. See what happens if somebody who is you know, not looking for anything in particular can have real life engagement on Twitter and have any uh, reasonable dialogue. Uh, that's what that was my agenda. I really didn't have much in, involved there. I purposely did engage in controversial social, cultural, and political issues. I engaged in them thinking, hey, if I bring a pretty steadfast, steady hand uh, thinking process, I'm not going to take a side. I'm going to discuss what I'm hearing, that maybe it would create some interesting conversations. And I, that's what I was doing. Okay. I made every effort to remain objective. And I want to be really clear. There were a couple of times that I didn't do as well as I should. Okay. So if you go and you look, which my stuff is all open access on Twitter, go for it. Uh, you find me, uh, what is my Twitter? Uh, HP Honest Views. And that's, that was uh, set up for, for this experiment. I had actually recently just shifted it to that. Mm. So to move along, I came up with a set of challenges that I faced. And I'm going to go over each of those before I give you my Twitter diagnosis. Challenge number one. In about two weeks or less, uh, it was around the second week of August sometime, uh, I was silenced. How do I know I was silenced? Well, I went, and again, remember, I have not been active on Twitter much. 
So in the first week, I quickly ramped up to where I was getting, you know, 60, 70 impressions in that, you know, with every statement, every comment, everything that I said. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm getting some impressions here. Like people are reading my stuff there. You know, there's some activity, there's some discussion. Uh, And then I immediately, literally overnight, went down to three impressions for like probably five days for like five days. And I, and I stayed active. I, I went in and I participated and I stayed active. When I traced it back, I traced it back to a single comment. This is the best that I could do. So I'm trying to tell you what I think it means. This is not factual, possibly. But the best that I could come up with was I got blocked by a blue checked person on Twitter. Because I guess they just didn't like my objective comment that had to do with Donald Trump. See, they had posted something about Donald Trump uh, being stupid, right? But I went and I, I did some research. I got I did some basic research. And for all intents and purposes, it appears that his IQ is actually very high. Well, I'm not saying I agree with him or disagree with him. And neither, I didn't say that on, on Twitter either. I simply stated that his IQ had been reportedly by a third party, which was Mensa. I actually quoted that in there, to be in the top 2%. That's what it said. And then I even went on to say, that said, I know lots of really high IQ people who I wouldn't trust with a butter knife. Point is... He's a smart guy in terms of IQ. Now, I don't know why that was so upsetting. I really don't. But it was the very last comment that I said before I went from 60 plus to three for like five days. My stuff just apparently got shut down somehow. And the person who originally talked about it and that ended up, they personally ended up blocking me was somebody named Brianna Westbrook, which to be honest, I don't know who they are. Um, I've never heard of them. They got a blue check mark. So I guess a lot of people have probably heard of them. Uh, And I I have no idea why they would take the time to block me. Um, I guess they were just tired of that conversation. So I found that to be very interesting. Like that was, again, my first challenge that I came across. What does this mean? I don't know for sure. I don't know. I don't know if, you know, this person who blocked me triggered some mechanism within Twitter uh, where I just would not percolate on anybody's stuff. Um, I really don't know. But I have some guesses. My guess is it had something to do with that blue check marked person deciding that I was unworthy of being heard. I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. Challenge number two. It appeared that there is an assumption that a person is Republican unless they prove otherwise. It's like a person can't go on there and be objective and have dialogue. They have to have monologues that fit your criteria. That's the way it it, it definitely comes across. Really, what it seems is that there's trolling for Republicans. It's like, if you don't say exactly what we want you to say, then we're going to badger you and pick at you until we know if you're possibly 
not a Republican. That's really what it seemed like. It seemed like Democrat or nothing. Now, why that happens, I don't know. It doesn't allow for any real dialogue. So, you know, but you know what? I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that. I'm going to come back to that. What this means, oh man, I don't know. Um, You know, they say things like MAGA and Trumpsters and maybe it means there's the possibility. Again, I'm not sure, but it might mean that there's fear, hatred, or just this undying need for camaraderie. And the reason I say that one, and again, this is just the evidence that I have as a possible outcome. The people, when they commented on my stuff, if, if it sounded like I wasn't staunchly Democrat, if I was anywhere in the middle of the road, there would be this overwhelming surge of likes for the other comments that are made that are staunchly Democrat. I found that intriguing. Like, do what you want with it. All right, challenge number three. When I asked for specifics, I got generals. And challenge number four, I'm going to lump these together. When I asked for something general, like a general concept, like where did that concept come from? I got specific examples. What does this mean? Well, one, it means there is no such thing as direct dialogue for the most part. It means it's a whole bunch of, a series of monologues. It's not real uh, encounters with real people over real issues. It's, I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you think something different, I'm going to tell you to stop. Like, that's what it ended up coming to. So you would, you would get these like opposites of what you're, what you're asking, which I thought was super intriguing. Challenge number five, the most disturbing of them all. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one. The most disturbing challenge I encountered. It seemed like there was a lot of people that were literally there making every effort possible to trigger reactions, probably for the sake of likes, but I don't know that. Again, that's just a potential uh, you know, reason, not necessarily based on facts, or the personal thrill of creating emotions, drama. So I say that because I have addressed drama in the past many times. And I found Twitter to be one of the most dramatic experiences of my social arena in terms of, you know, being on these social media outlets and stuff. The most common go-tos, MAGA, gaslighting, moving goalposts, name-calling, usually some version of you're stupid or you're lazy. Number five on that list was when they realize these things don't work, that number one through four doesn't work, they can't call you MAGA and get a reaction. They can't gaslight you and get a reaction. They can't move the goalposts and get a reaction. They're going to tell you you're doing all of these things. And then they're going to call you names. And then when they realize all of that doesn't work, they begin to avoid the topic altogether. And they attack you. That's what happens on Twitter. 
Like at least that's what happened to me on Twitter. And I was staying for the most part, not a hundred percent. Cause I told you there were, there were a couple of times I got sucked into it a little bit, but I was really making an effort to stay objective and stay in the middle. And I got to tell you, there were, there were many times that when they realized that didn't work, they just attacked me as if I am evil and terrible and no good and awful human being. My guess is it's an attempt at that point when they begin to attack me personally, it was an attempt to basically say, shut up, but without saying it. Uh, Although there were times where, you know, they were pretty blunt about, you know, like I'm done here. And in those situations, just, just because I wanted to see if they truly were done, I engaged one more time to see if they would re-engage and a hundred percent of the time they re-engaged. So it's like they want to say, be quiet, but they don't actually want you to go away. They just want to exert that power over you. If that didn't work, then what we would see is an escalation of comments until they got a whole bunch of people liking their comments, which is, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, I don't like you. I'm going to go get my four friends to say they don't like you either. So what does that mean? I'm not a hundred percent sure on that either. There's a lot of things here that just don't make sense. And I'm going to take a guess. I actually think there might be part of the algorithm that's designed to collect friends to turn on a person when bullying begins. So Twitter becomes the bully capital, right? It's once, once one person does it, then there are five, 10, 20 friends that pay attention to everything that they do begin to jump on the bandwagon. I really believe that that's part of that algorithmic design, but I don't know for sure because I don't have the algorithm. So this is the fun part. (laughs) I get to go into, if I were diagnosing Twitter, now I'm not diagnosing any particular person on Twitter, just Twitter the platform. I came down with three things, right? Now, remember, this is an area where I have a lot of experience diagnosing, um, assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. Like, that's what I do. If Twitter were a human being, there are three possible diagnoses that I could see with them. Number one, uh, and these are in no particular order. They, 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 Twitter actually fits all three of these to a great extent, And so, you know, if Twitter were a person, I would sit with them for a longer time and do some rule outs in all three of these categories to figure out, I would want to pinpoint it, but I can't do that because Twitter is not a human being. Number one on the list, narcissism. I would diagnose Twitter potentially with narcissism. What it means, there's a lack of empathy altogether. There's a sense of grandiosity. It's this powerful, I'm better than you. I am, I, I am grandiose. I am almighty. I am I'm better than everybody. And entitlement. I can say whatever I want. And if you say whatever you want, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's really narcissism. All right. Now, there's a little bit more to narcissism, but all of those things. And when I looked up, uh, you know, the uh, the narcissistic, uh, you know, criteria again, because I want to just make sure I captured some of those details. Look, almost 
across the board, Twitter fits what narcissism is. Okay, the second one. This one was really interesting. Um, Psychopathy. I would absolutely have to, at minimum, do a rule out for psychopathy. What does that mean? There's a complete lack of empathy. So you see, and I'm keying in on the empathy piece because it's so unbelievably prevalent that there's very little empathy on Twitter. The only time I saw empathy on Twitter was when people would post things like, hey, let's create something beautiful on Twitter. And then it was showboating it as opposed to actually having real empathy. Look, a a person who's narcissistic or uh, has uh, uh, psychopathy, they'll pretend they have empathy, which is what happens on Twitter a bunch. Now, I'm not saying to all people on Twitter, but the vast majority, you can tell it's just like, oh yeah, let's get on this bandwagon and pretend we are all good and that there's good things in the world. And then you watch, if you go and you look into their their Twitter feeds, you'll see it's like bash, 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 bash. And then it's, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm I'm putting good into the world. Like, really? I mean, Twitter by itself potentially has psychopathy. They're also in psychopathy. We're dealing with manipulation, glibness, and a complete lack of remorse. When somebody makes a mistake on Twitter, like, when's the last time someone apologized on Twitter? Go find it. Good luck. You don't see that. Oh, you get what, at best, what I saw was, uh, oh, well, that's interesting. That was an apology for getting it wrong? No, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, or I hadn't thought of that. They're like, oops, I screwed up? Nowhere. Right? <laughs> I even tested it once to see what would happen. And one time, uh, I, I went in there on purpose and did an oops, I made a mistake. Uh, clearly, I, I don't remember if I said something about like I got, I had fat fingers or it's a typo and it autocorrected or something just to see what would happen. And it was largely ignored. I had one person who said, yeah, you know, it happens to all of us. That was the gist of the empathy that I saw on Twitter in the last month. So definitely psychopathy is a potential. The last category that I would have to do some rule outs if I were diagnosing Twitter, a neurocognitive disorder. What does that mean? Well, the most basic, most simple way, if if you know anything about delirium, uh, you know, it's, it's the most common diagnosis when we're talking about memory deficit, um, a disorientation, uh, distortions of reality and stuff like that. And it typically comes, you know, through major medical, uh, issues. You know, if somebody has a major surgery and they're in the recovery room, they, they can have, you know, a delirium. It's very common, well, not very common, but it's pretty common in, say, hospital settings where the memory's just not there. They can't recall things. They have short-term or long-term memory issues, stuff like that. But what's most interesting is all the other categories that fit in that. I'm going to read some of them to you because criteria-wise, it meets many of these. It could be Alzheimer's, a frontal temporal lobar degeneration. That means they're literally, their brain is deteriorating. 
Lewy body disease, uh, vascular disease, traumatic brain injury, substance or medication use that causes memory issues, HIV infections, prion disease, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease. Like these are major medical issues. And when we look at those, they all could lead to the type of symptomology that I saw all over Twitter every time I was on there. So what does this mean? Well, I don't know exactly what it means, but I can tell you a concern I have as somebody who studies psychology, sociology, culture, um, stuff like that. My biggest concern is if people who are well are around a system that is ill, what are the chances that that illness will be contracted by the people? That's my biggest concern. So for me, my effort is going to be to stay off Twitter quite a bit. To be honest, I, I just won't spend much time on there because I don't want to take the risk if this is an illness that becomes contagious, which things like this can be contagious, right? The idea of no empathy within narcissism and, and, and psychopathy. You can lose empathy if you don't practice empathy. It's just a reality. You can also improve empathy if you practice empathy. You know, the idea of grandiosity. I don't want it. I don't want to pretend that I'm better than other people. I really don't. I want to grow and get better so that I can serve better. That's my goal. So I'm probably going to stay off of Twitter for the most part. There are some advantages to going in there and seeing the topics that are being discussed. However, the risks are high. The risks of you know them sucking a person into the system and trying to trigger emotions. Honestly, if I wasn't emotionally stable and solid in who I am, I didn't have a great moral thought. I probably would have gotten sucked in. Uh, there were there were moments. I've even said this in this podcast. There were moments I did get sucked in a little bit, and when I realized it, I quickly backed off and went back to neutral. Because I didn't want to be the one that was contributing to the delinquency that is the Twitter system, the narcissism, the psychopathy, and the potential neurocognitive disorder. I didn't want to be that. So I backed off. What you should do, I don't know. That's up to you. Uh, you know, Twitter is very addictive. I learned that over the last month. I never really had a problem with Twitter and wanting to check it all the time. And I definitely saw that desire to go in and see how many people looked at my stuff. And, you know, and I don't know, it's just not worth it to me. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in one of these weird positions where I need people to see my stuff because in order for this kind of, uh, podcast to create any level of success, uh, I have to get people to see it. And so um, I'm probably going to stick with the go in when I see a conversation that's interesting, post my, uh, my podcast there and move on so that I'm not really commenting on things, but giving people outlets to actually get, you know, reasonable middle of the road, you know, Hey, here's what you can think about that might be a little bit different. Um, and that's probably going to be my biggest takeaway. What you should do. I don't know. I mean, if you're addicted, get off. 
because addiction of all kinds can be dangerous. We don't want to overdo any one thing, whether that's drugs, uh, sex, um, you know, people who are addicted to money, it's a problem. People who are addicted to social media, it's a problem. And to ignore it and pretend it's not a problem, I mean, that's just, to me, that's kind of a foolish move to make. And so I, I, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that doesn't become me. Um, and I would suggest that you do similar, but it's your life to live. If this is how you want to spend your time, energy, and resources, hey, who am I to judge? Uh, I just know it's not for me long-term. I hope that out of this podcast, you found some really intriguing and interesting stuff. Uh, what I really kind of hope is that some of you, if you're Twitter listeners, will go in and take a look at these challenges one by one and say, wait a minute, do I face these also? Are these something that are real and tangible to me also? Right now, I wouldn't expect that a staunch Democrat is going to see these as challenging. Um, I, I could see a scenario where they wouldn't uh, because they're going in there and they're getting their buzz. They're getting their fix. Right. People like their stuff when they speak. People are all over it. And then, you know, they get thousands of people paying attention to their their stuff. And maybe I mean, I could see an argument for that. I don't think it's a healthy social outlet in, in that, you know, if you're really just going for those, those momentary, uh, you know, that momentary buzz, I don't think that that's a long-term success in a relationship. You know, long-term success is when we, when we fight sometimes and we don't care at the end who's the winner, we care who is loved and cared for. I mean, that's, that's way more relationally uh, successful than getting, you know, 10,000 20,000, 100,000 likes. But that's, again, from a social science view. You know, the, the feeling that you get from all those likes, it's real. I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you it's not real. But you probably want to think about that. How much time, energy, and effort are you putting into getting all of those likes as opposed to hanging out with a friend, you know, going to the park, you know, jumping off of a, a, a rock into the water with your family, yeah, I don't know. You got to assess that for yourself. Uh, I do appreciate that you listened to this. I hope that this has some kind of meaning to you and it's helpful for you. And as always, I love it when you guys get engaged. So please feel free to engage. Thanks for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives.com with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives, make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com. 